1: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. IoT worries encompass both industrial systems and consumer-grade products, and IoT device recalls continue. Analysts expect there's more to come. Cyber espionage in the Middle East, and what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your Cyberwire summary for Thursday, October 27th, 2016. Last week's Mirai Botnet distributed denial-of-service attacks have focused attention on the Internet of Things. Observers of utilities, especially electrical power generation, are warning that the attack on Dyn should serve as an indication of what could become extremely disruptive attacks on essential services. Schneider Electric, warned by responsible disclosure from Israeli security shop IndiGy, has patched its Unity Pro software, which is widely used with programmable logic controllers or PLCs. The vulnerabilities Schneider fixed could have been exploited to achieve remote code execution. We heard from Rod Schultz, Rubicon Labs' vice president of products, who had this to say about the vulnerability Schneider Electric patched. "...remote code execution is one of many vulnerabilities for a digital system that has been connected to a network. While they are sophisticated attacks, once discovered, they are incredibly easy to reproduce, and an example of a type of attack that will be seen in the IoT." It's tough to secure IoT devices, because, as Schultz put it, "...the world will not stop connecting devices to a network, and attackers are going to continue to go after them in increasingly creative ways." For predictable, Willy Sutton-esque reasons, that's where the metaphorical money is. Schneider closed its patch notice with what it calls an important note. It is up to user responsibility, says Schneider, to protect his application by a proper password. And that's good advice for anyone. The consumer-grade IoT devices exploited in the Mirai botnet also need some attention to password hygiene. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security has advised everyone to disconnect their routers, security cameras, and similar devices, and then change the device's names and passwords before reconnecting them. This is good advice, to be sure, but as a matter of general internet hygiene, it's as unlikely to have effect as asking random people on the street to stop littering, throw their used gum into a trash receptacle instead of ejecting it from mouth to sidewalk, and so on. A couple of them will listen to you. One of our stringers is particularly troubled by the advice. He's not sure how many devices he has in his house, or how he'd go about making those changes. And do femtocells count? Probably. DNS provider Dine has offered more results of investigation into the distributed denial-of-service attack it sustained last week. Sources in the U.S. intelligence community have been quoted as saying that those responsible were simply criminals, not state actors— but investigation of these attacks is ongoing, and so Dyn won't speculate about either the identity of the attackers or their motives. The company has, however, confirmed that the attack was mounted using a Mirai botnet. About 100,000 devices were implicated, which is significantly fewer than earlier estimates had placed the number. The attackers used masked TCP, and UDP traffic across Port 53. They also employed recursive DNS retry traffic. Device manufacturer Shomai is continuing its recall of the webcams said to have been compromised and used in the attacks. Thomas Poor is director of IT and services at Plixer. They took a look at the Mirai Botnet source code and offered some observations about what they found.
2: When the author pushed the source code out, uh, it took a peek through it, and and it was, it was actually incredibly uh, simple. You know, while uh, it's interesting that a that a botnet of, of that size and caliber could be built in such a easy, simplistic, uh, way. And so what would happen is the, the original, uh, malware would, would, would scan and it would locate a DVR with default credentials. It would then compromise, install itself. And essentially it was running in, in memory so if you if the DVR were rebooted at any time, then the the malware would be erased, and that DVR would again be public facing and and ready to be compromised again. Now, what was interesting is when the malware installed itself, it went through its own c two behavior and then it started performing its own scanning. And when the scanning uh, occurred, it was trying to locate and And, in fact, it increased the size of of the botnet.
1: Is the fact that the source code wasn't terribly sophisticated, does that mean that the attack wasn't sophisticated?
2: No, that's not necessarily true. And, And, in fact, the concept is rather genius. So, traditionally, botnet's comprised of compromised PCs achieved through phishing attempts and people downloading malware. Now, what's great about this concept is the author doesn't have to pay for those spamming services. And we don't need to have user interaction for these to get infected. So, while it's simple, it's it's actually very genius. And it can be set up by most security professionals probably within 30 minutes.
1: And, and to the person who was using the DVR or the person who was using the video camera, would they even notice that, that anything was amiss?
2: So, they probably wouldn't, um, unless, of course... The DOS attack exhausted their their entire outbound connection, but again, not many people sit there and, and continually watch their their DVRs or their cameras. So they're more set up for recording purposes in case they need to go and review an incident. So it's it's likely that you know the the owners had no idea.
1: That's Thomas Poor from Plixer. Analysts warn that more attacks like this can be expected, and in fact, they've already occurred. Singapore's StarHub experienced waves of attacks on Saturday and again on Monday. There are unfortunate opportunities for synergy among various approaches to distributed denial of service. Carrero reports observing exploitation of Lightweight Directory Access Protocol, LDAP, to amplify DDoS attack traffic over the weekend. The company warns that LDAP exploitation combined with a Mirai botnet could prove extremely serious, surpassing even the very large effects seen last week. Internationally, the French government looks at ongoing U.S. experience with online political meddling, which the U.S. has ascribed to Moscow, and warns candidates in French elections that they should expect to be on the receiving end of similar ministrations. U.S. intelligence sources say ISIS, under intense physical pressure though it may be, continues to seek to inspire attacks online from its Syrian headquarters in Raqqa. Elsewhere in the Middle East, Vectra Networks says it's found an extensive cyber espionage campaign, Moonlight, operated by Hamas against unnamed targets in the region. In industry news, network security company Tenable has made its first acquisition, San Francisco-based container security shop Flawcheck, and Adobe yesterday issued an emergency patch for Flash, closing a vulnerability that has been under active exploitation in the wild. And finally, in the sauce for the gander department, Cyber CyberHunta, thought to be a Ukrainian hacktivist group, has doxxed Putin adviser Vladislav Surkov, releasing emails that indicate Surkov's connections with Russian separatists fighting inside Ukraine. The Russian government has long denied such support, but vanishingly few observers believe those denials, as there's a great deal of evidence to the contrary both online and on the ground. President Putin says the emails are fabricated. Surkov doesn't use electronic mail, he said. Well, okay, Vlad, if you say so. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security. Joining me once again is Israel Mirsky. He's a Ph.D. candidate, researcher, and project manager at the Cybersecurity Research Center at Ben-Gurion University. I know one of the strengths of your lab there, of the Cybersecurity Research Center, is machine
0: learning. Tell us about some of the work that you're doing with that. Sure. There's a great synergy between uh, cybersecurity and machine learning, and that's for several reasons. First of all, what is machine learning? Machine learning is any process by which a system Improves performance from experience. So that means the more data you give, whatever code or algorithm you've developed, and it improves its performance in in deciding things, for example, that's machine learning. And that could be applied to many different applications. And in the domain of security, you can talk about whether it be intrusion detection in a network. You can talk about uh, spam detection for emails and credit card fraud or uh, user authentication for a smartphone. And uh, we, we do a quite a lot of different research in many different aspects. Uh, for example, in the project that I'm managing for data leakage prevention for smartphones, we take a look at all sorts of simple uh, sensors, such as uh, accelerometer or CPU usage, things that don't require high-level privileges. And we try to infer whether an application is doing something that is malicious or not. So we can build a general model, for example, how Angry angry Birds performs. And based off of that, trying to determine when it's doing something malicious. And I'll give you an example where uh, our project really comes into play is where we take into account the context of the user. So for example, if we understand that the user never sends SMSs while he's running, then it's obvious that if an SMS is sent and we can tell that by the motion of the device that he's running, there is possibly some sort of premium Um, uh, SMS malware that's trying to get money from the user and we try to build a general model that learns this all automatically and uh, going back to why machine learning is important to security it's because uh, basically three reasons one is availability we have lots of data lots of logs for example we want to uh, perform acquisition we have want to utilize this data for some purpose and we want to perform automation we want to do it automatically uh, one last thing to, to mention, is though, uh, though, is um, the aspect of the security of machine learning. Now, uh, many cases, you can build this sort of machine learning model quite easily on data to try and predict perhaps a malicious uh, spam email, for example. And uh, what happens is that if the attacker also knows that you're using machine learning, he can try and attack your model. Whether it be in some sort of uh, causative attack or exploratory attack. Causative, you'll try and perhaps send specific emails that will poison your model and try and mislead it in thinking certain things are malicious or not. And exploratory, will try and find those holes that you're not really looking at. And this is a whole other new domain of, uh, of machine learning that's uh, growing quite fast because security machine learning or using machine learning for security is uh, very advantageous, but also you have to be cautious because there's always this case of uh, kind of uh, arms race of who's going to get there first, the attacker or the defender.
1: Israel Mirsky, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network,